Today on Blue 58, the Packers are making the kind of run that could affect the team beyond the 2022 season. Some people might be in line to keep their jobs if the Packers do in fact make the playoffs, like a certain defensive coordinator, for instance. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we dive into today's discussions, I want to give an update on our annual fundraiser. It is now drawn to a close, so thank you to all of you who participated. We had 28 people contribute this year. All told, we raised $1,614.80. I am very grateful to everyone who participated. All the prize winners of the various prizes should have been notified by now. And since we had just the 28 donors this year, I decided to give everyone who contributed something uh, a prize of some kind. So everybody who didn't get a jersey or a gift certificate or a t-shirt is getting at least a sticker pack. So if you donated and haven't heard from me yet, let me know. I'll make sure you get something. But anyway, thank you to everybody who participated. Thank you for uh, just making this a part of Blue 58 every year. Uh, it's been a, a blast to do. We've raised a lot of money for a lot of different charities, and it just goes to show what an incredible community of listeners we have here at this little podcast that you help us out with every single year. So thank you for that. Thank you for participating and for putting up with my my reminders the last month or so. And uh, just thanks again for making this an awesome thing to do every year. I'm continually impressed by people's generosity and willingness to to help other people out. It's awesome. Every time I record a podcast, especially about like a recap podcast about a game that we just watched, there's the version that goes out, and then there's the version usually as soon as five minutes after I hit publish that I wish I had sent out. Because every time I, I do it, I think of more things that I wish that we had talked about afterwards. And usually I have a little bit of time in the next couple of days to track down a couple of those things. So let's give some final thoughts on the Packers-Vikings game before we start turning our attention to the Lions and beyond. I wanted to mention Aaron Jones going over 1,000 yards on the season. An incredible accomplishment. And I know that we've said this a bunch of times about Aaron Jones over the past back half of the season, I guess. But not too shabby for a fifth-round pick. He has been so productive for where he was drafted in 2017. It's it's just incredible. For instance, 60 players have had a 1,000-yard season since he was drafted. Nine of them have three or more, and Jones is one of those dying. Of course, there is some selection bias due to time there. A good portion of the league hasn't played three seasons yet, but I I think you still understand. There are people churning out 1,000-yard years every year, but there aren't that many who are doing it with the regularity that Jones has. Jones is one of only three players since 2017 drafted in the fifth round or later to have even one 1,000-yard season. And he is the only one with three. Chris Carson of the Seahawks has two. Jordan Howard has the other one. Jones now has the sixth most rushing yards in the NFL from 2017 to present. The five more are Derrick Henry, who you might have guessed, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, and Joe Mixon. But of those five, only Nick Chubb averages more per carry than Jones does, 5.2 per carry to Jones's 5.1. And of the top six, Jones is hanging tight despite having the fewest carries with just over 1,000, 1,023 to be precise. Chubb has the next fewest at 1,198, but everybody else more than 200 more carries than Jones and not that much more productive, less productive, in fact, on a per-carry basis. 
wanted to give some additional attention to Alan Lazard, who has again put up another steady, reliable performance. This was his eighth game of the year with at least four catches and 55 yards. There are only four games this year where he has had 40 or fewer receiving yards. He's missed two games due to injury on top of that. But he's been consistent regardless. Just game in, game out, putting up yards, moving the chains, helping the Packers get down the field. What you pay for that is still, I think, an open question. Maybe the Packers want to bring him back instead of going back to the the draft well next year. That does free up some resources that you could use at other positions. Maybe trying to acquire a dynamic tight end. Maybe uh, another edge rusher or defensive lineman, something like that. But I, maybe you just think of Lazard as your tight end. Since he, he kind of does a lot of tight end-like things, maybe that's his role in your offense. In any case, that's the future, the present, Features a lot of Alan Lazard just getting first downs because that is what Alan Lazard does almost every time you throw him the ball. Darnell Savage, we only mentioned this in passing, but he got his first interception of the season and his first interception since 2021. I think, despite what the pro football focus grades say, that he has played better since taking over as a primarily, basically a slot corner. I wouldn't say good, overall, but he has seemed less volatile. It seems like you've gotten more of an idea what he's going to be on a week-to-week basis since he started playing in the slot uh, more regularly. Maybe he's not in as much of a position to just get gashed on a play-by-play basis. Uh, He's playing closer to the line of scrimmage, so he doesn't get beat over the top, though he did almost get beat over the top against against the, the Vikings. TJ Hawkinson just couldn't quite haul in a pass, but he doesn't seem to have given up quite the same rate of big plays. Still a bit suspect as a tackler, not always the most assignment-sure guy, but less of a liability, it feels, in the slot. Carl Anderson had an interesting question that we touched on briefly post-game, and I thought we would return to today, uh, talking about Yash Nyman and Zach Tom. Carl's whole question goes, like this. Interesting to hear Matt LaFleur say after the game that Yash Nyman was ready to come back, but they wanted to keep Tom in the game. What do you make of this? And how do you think that affects what the Packers want to do with Nyman for 2023? If Tom is as good as Nyman and Bakhtiari seems healthy to keep playing a couple of seasons at this high level, can the Packers afford to keep both Nyman and Tom at tackle? Or maybe, as I'm thinking about it while writing this question, do they put Tom at right guard and have him as the backup in case of emergency? So, First and foremost, we should play exactly what Matt LaFleur says, because I think what he says, and more importantly, what he doesn't say, is important here. So here's the audio from LaFleur after the game. Bill Huber asks, basically, what was the deal with Yash? So so Yash was, he was available to go back in the game. He was down for a minute. Um, that was two games in a row, and I just thought that, uh, you know, Zach, we got a lot of confidence in Zach, just thought it was best probably to to you know unless something bad happened to to Zach or another position where we had to move Zach inside whatever it may be to um, just roll that way and Yash was he got cleared to go back in the game but he he was out for a minute so he doesn't really give a firm endorsement to Yash Nyman for sure though not really to either player I think reading between the lines here, you can say that LaFleur and the Packers view Tom and Nyman pretty similarly. If 
there's no re- if there's no reason that Nyman couldn't have gone back in the game, they must think that Tom is at least as good or about as good. Otherwise, they would have put Nyman back. So that that I think is interesting from an assessment standpoint for this year. Now, looking at the future, Josh Nyman is coming back. He is a restricted free agent this spring, next spring, whatever it is, uh, for 2023, for 2023, the 2023 offseason, he will be a restricted free agent. And looking at the economics there, he's probably going to be in the market for the second round tender, which is about $4.3 million. That's not too shabby for a guy, regardless of how he compares to Zach Tom, who is a starting caliber right tackle, even left tackle. Yash Nyman can start on the offensive line in this league, and he's not going to embarrass you. So that's an easy decision. You you just bring Nyman back and sort the rest out from there. Because between Nyman, Bakhtiari, and Tom, overall you're not averaging all that much money at the tackle position. Bakhtiari is making a lot for 2023. But $4.3 million for a starting offensive lineman is not a bad deal, and Tom is much less than that as a fourth-round pick. You're not breaking the bank keeping Nyman around. And having three guys who can play tackle is never a bad situation to be in. There are, I think, three bigger points to take away here. First, you can never have too many good offensive linemen, whether it's guys that can play tackle playing guard or guards that, guys that can play guard playing tackle, whatever it happens to be, and however you want to classify those guard guys relative to Bakhtiari and Nyman and Tom, you just can't have too many. Tom, in particular, I think is valuable here because if Nyman and Bakhtiari are your tackles, you can put him at one of the guard spots if you need him. That's great to have. But you can never have too many good offensive linemen. Look at the Packers in both 2020 and 2021. On the whole, I think pretty deep as far as the offensive line goes both of those years. And yet, they still came up short on linemen in the end. Both years, they had issues on the offensive line in the playoffs. And if the line is healthy against both the Buccaneers and the 49ers, I think they win both of those games. For all the other issues that went on in those games, a healthy offensive line is probably enough of a difference. I think they score at least one more touchdown against the 49ers. I think they they at least get a chance at another productive drive with a healthy David Bakhtiari because there were a couple of drives there against the Buccaneers in the second half that were just wiped out by bad offensive line play. It affects your running game. It affects your pass protection. You know all these things. You can never have too many good offensive linemen. Secondly, Having a lot of good offensive linemen is especially important to the Packers because they're willing to do some wild things on the offensive line. You play left tackle? Well, we need a right tackle, so you're a right tackle now. Are you quote-unquote too small for a tackle? No, you're going to start there unless we need you at left guard or right tackle or right guard or shoot, you can run scout team center too if you're Zach Tom. They're going to try some stuff, so they need a bunch of good offensive linemen because that gives them that crazy flexibility. I know we've harped on a guy like Jake Hansen starting early in the season, and we'll harp on it more here in a second, but the reason they had to do that was because they were short on guys, and they couldn't do some of those crazy sorts of things earlier in the season. Now, there were some obvious solutions there, some different solutions. Just play Zach Tom in week one instead of going with a guy who shouldn't, it seems, be on an NFL roster in Hansen, but that's a 
That's a conversation for a different day, a conversation we've had on many other different days already. The Packers, though, are willing to try some crazy things, and having a bunch of good offensive linemen allows them to do that. Thirdly, and I think we should probably make a point of saying this because we'll probably repeat it in the offseason too, as now the offensive coordinator, but as the offensive line coach since uh, Matt LaFleur arrived in Green Bay, I think Adam Stanovich has more hits than misses doing these wild things. You move Zach Tom to right tackle kind of out of the blue after Yash Nyman goes down this week. It ends up working out. There are no big problems with Tom at right tackle. They've tried some other crazy things on the line this year, you know, switching Elton Jenkins from right tackle to left guard, kind of on the fly, moving John Runyon from left guard to right guard. They've made these things work by and large. To be fair, on the other side, there have been some high-profile misses for Stanovich and the offensive line, too. The call that he made starting Billy Turner at left tackle in the 2021 playoffs is going to be foremost in my mind for as long as Adam Stanovich is around, is around and probably as long as I, I cover the Green Bay Packers because that was a hugely consequential decision that ended up hurting the Packers in, I think, a pretty big way. That is a high-profile miss, but by and large, I think he's been pretty good. You need to keep giving him guys that can do a lot of those things, though. And again, having more options at tackle is a way to do that. The fourth thing here that I want to talk about, fifth thing, relates to tight ends. Now, I talked on last week's midweek episode about something that I didn't like about Matt LaFleur, and that's that he's not always the most creative with tight ends. Well, it wasn't a big scheme-altering thing, but there was at least one play that really showed the Packers doing some interesting things with tight ends, particularly Josiah DeGuara, who seems to be finally here in, what is it, year three, settling into a real role for himself in the Packers offense. And that's really just a super-duper fullback. Not even so much the the F-back or H-back stuff that he's done in the past, just lining up as the front man in an I formation and hammering some dudes. The Packers ran, got into a look where it appeared for all the world that DeGuara was going to just push Aaron Rodgers forward on a quarterback sneak. Rodgers lines up under center. Aaron Jones is a tailback behind him. And DeGuara moved in sort of off his left hip pocket. And instead of running the the sneak, Rodgers takes the snap, pitches it out to Aaron Jones. Beautiful left-handed pitch, by the way. Jones catches it on the fly. DeGuara seals off a lane in front of him. And following behind Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tunyon, Aaron Jones scampers down the left sideline for a big game. Now, again, it's not a scheme-altering thing, but it's Matt LaFleur doing something really interesting and creative with tight ends. And that was just very encouraging and fun to see. It was a play I have to imagine that he put in specifically for me after listening to an episode of Blue 58. So, hello, Matt LaFleur loyal, faithful Blue 58 listener. I'm available as an offensive consultant if you need it. I'm willing to work nights and weekends. Just call me or uh, email me. The the contact information is in the show notes. In any case, though, an interesting wrinkle for the Packers offense and something that I I hope we see a lot more of. And I think DeGuara is starting to unlock those kinds of things for the Packers offense as they've tried maybe moving maybe not moving away from, but adding in more power and ISO-based stuff into their their run game. If you're not just going pure outside zone, there's a lot more opportunities for a guy like DeGuara playing as a fullback just to put a body on a body 
and escort someone like Aaron Jones into the defensive backfield. It was beautiful to see, and it was really, really fun to see that kind of wrinkle from LaFleur and the Packers' offense. Finally, there's been a lot of talk about intensity with this Packers' defense over the past month, really especially over the past couple of weeks. After they come out, after they go down 20 to nothing in the, in the first half against the Miami Dolphins, they storm back, shut them down in the second half, and basically d- just dominate the Vikings start to finish, getting some help from special teams in there too. I wonder, and I don't have an answer for this, how do you account for effort? I thought actually about leading off with this for the, the start of the, the Vikings-Packers game. Because I, I wonder, how would you quantify, if you could, a game that means something more to one team than the other? Because the Vikings were still playing for something on Sunday, but what they're playing for is, I think, a smaller goal than what the Packers were playing for. The Vikings are playing for seeding. The Packers are playing for their lives, metaphorically speaking, of course. They're, they're playing to get into the playoffs. The Packers need this win more than the Vikings do because the Vikings would still need some help even if they do win to get the top seed. How do you quantify that? I don't know. I've got one crazy idea, but that's about it. So the NFL uses these little radio tracking beacons inside everybody's shoulder pads, and that's why you get those crazy dot images that you see uh, from some people on social media about how they, they track people's positions on every play. That's where you get some of the, that crazy data about how fast guys run and, and things like that, how far a, a ball carried on a particular play. I'd be interested to see how a team's average you know, like speed and collision strength compares from game to game. In a game where you look back and anecdotally like the Packers-Vikings game, say that was a high-effort game for the Packers. They were really intense. They were really hitting hard, running fast, doing all those things. How does their data compare to previous weeks? I just, I want to know those sorts of things. I, don't, I want to know if it, if it works at all. Can you quantify effort? Can you quantify what games mean two teams. Can you get that crazy or um, granular with the data? The data is out there. I would like to have it so we can see these things. Just hypothesizing sort of out loud here. There is one potentially negative aspect of this run, and Discord user Janelle highlights that for us uh, as it pertains to Joe Barry. Her, she writes, Given the recent resurgence of the Packers' defense, do the Packers stick with Joe Barry for next year? Personally, I don't trust that under Barry, they won't regress to what they were doing early in the year. I tend to agree here, and that would be a concern for me as well, because I think you have an opportunity to confuse yourself a little bit with some recency bias down the stretch. And this is important, or where it's important, where as a, like, functionally an executive, if you're Matt LaFleur, you have to be pretty clear-eyed and pretty sober in your assessment of the people you have. And after the season, you have to make these decisions pretty quickly. By and large, the Packers' defense has not been very good this year. I think that that's pretty fair to say. They've been statistically poor. They've been pretty scheme-poor as you know, people I trust who who do this thing at a much higher level than we do in terms of X's and O's 
they say that, you know, the Packers don't run a particularly creative scheme. They've been very static throughout this year, and a lot of that falls on the coordinator. They've also made some unusual skittish personnel decisions. They've also been very hesitant to change things from a personnel standpoint when things aren't working. I'm thinking about Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed not playing very well for the balance of the season. And then, you know, once you start mixing that up a little bit, get a little bit more TJ Slayton and uh, Devontae Wyatt in there, suddenly your defensive line looks better. And boy, that's kind of an indictment on your coaching staff, isn't it? You know, put the, put in the guys that everybody's been asking for who were saying, you know, they're at least, they can't be worse than Dean Lowry or, or Jaron Reed. And you play them more and suddenly your defense looks better. Hmm, that's not very good. Uh, at least they're getting better. I, I suppose we can say that. But to Janelle's point, I very much agree that the the defense could very quickly regress to what they were early in the year. I don't have a lot of faith that Barry and the Packers defense can stick with what's been do- going well over the long term. There's a couple reasons for that. First, human beings and football coaches are creatures of habit. At a certain point, you just become what you what you are as a coach. I don't think everyone, I don't think any coach can just innovate forever. Even the great ones are going to get stale after a while. There have been accusations of that with, with Bill Belichick, of, of all people here in the 21st century, getting stale after a while. And, and maybe it's just uh, for, for any number of reasons. It's hard to stay on top of trends. After you achieve a certain amount of success, after you've, you've got a certain amount of money, there's just less and less reason to try to reinvent yourself all the time. But it's also just easier to keep doing what, you, what you've always known. And for Barry, the what you've always done segment of his coaching career is actually pretty short. He hasn't been running this scheme particularly long. And so f- for to ask him to build on top of what he's done before and really change things up and get creative and, and add to this scheme in ways that we haven't seen before, I think is asking him to go beyond really what he's been capable of as a defensive coordinator in a fairly long career here in the NFL. Guys like Joe Barry tend to keep getting work because they, they're consistent. As a linebacker's coach, he's going to come in and, and get his guys to do certain things and get them to play a specific role within a specific scheme. And that's going to be about it. As a defensive coordinator, in three separate stops, he's been asked to come in and run a version of somebody else's scheme. And he's he's run the basics of it, and it's never really built beyond that. So I think as good as the Packers' be, defense has been of late, there's a good chance that he's always going to want to feel that pull back to the, the, the basic stuff. Secondly, I think we need to temper our our praise of the, the Packers and their performance over the last month or so. Now, it has been great that they've won. We also have to remember, though, that they've played the Bears, who are nobody's idea of a juggernaut. They've played the Rams, who are a shell of what they were last year. And they've got, when the Packers played them, they had Baker Mayfield, that quarterback, and he'd been in Los Angeles for like a week and a half. They beat the Miami Dolphins, which was a good win, with the small caveat that Tua Tonga-Vailoa's brain may have been jelly for the second half. And then they beat the Minnesota Vikings, which is the best win of the season. No real qualifiers there. You've got one really good win in there, 
and three wins where you're like, okay, well, you should have beaten those guys anyway. Now, take nothing away from their wins. You can only beat the guys that you play. But we've got to be, this is why you've got to be kind of clear-eyed and careful about your assessment of, of the players and people within your building. Context matters. When these things are happening matters. It, it, it is part of that job as a head coach to make those calls based on the totality of the season, not just on what you do near the end. However, if the Packers were to go on a run and win the Super Bowl, say, if Joe Barry's back in 2023, I can probably live with that. But as fellow Discord user No Misery writes, if this happens, someone just tell, should tell Barry, well, it can't get any better, so maybe you should just stop. And that way we have the best of both, both worlds. Packers win the Super Bowl. They've got a new defensive coordinator next year. Win-win. Perfect. Want to talk or want to finish by talking about Aaron Jones here again. Uh, relatively new Discord member, Gabe's MSU 11, asks, do the Packers keep Aaron Jones next year? Conventional wisdom says no. However, I think the Packers know how to maximize him, and he does so much for the offense. Let's talk about that second point first. As we've, we've mentioned in this episode already, Aaron Jones has had an incredible career. The Packers have gotten a ton out of them, out of him. He has given a ton to the Packers. He's a uniquely skilled running back, a great player in, in every sense of the word, a great runner, a great receiver, a great teammate, a great member of the community. There is no exaggeration in pretty much any facet of talking about Aaron Jones and, and how good of a player he is. Good in terms of talent and good in terms of who he is as a human being. Absolutely true. And to that end, I am moving a little bit off the position that they are going to move on from him. Personally, I think it's about a toss-up at this point. Because I think the Packers are looking at their 2022 season probably as pretty close to a success. Because if you're honest with yourself, and I think the Packers probably are, this is about how they should have expected the 2022 season to go. Now, ideally, the offense would have come together sooner. They wouldn't have had the major bumps in the road they had earlier in the season, and they would have locked up, say, the five or six seed by now. And weeks, week 18 is just about a little bit of tune-up before you head into the wild card round. That all aside, I still think that they think they're on track to be where they want to be in 2023. Because I think Aaron Rodgers is coming back. And if they want to have the best possible version of their offense, Aaron Jones is probably a part of that picture. However, as we've said all along, it looks like it's going to be pretty hard to get his contract situation much more manageable without getting really crazy in the future. First, the cap hits. It's $20 million in 2023. It's $16 million in 2024. That's age 29 season and age 30 season. That's a pretty big ask already. On top of that, the Packers already have built-in void years in his contract for years 2025 and 2026. How long do you want to still be paying Aaron Jones? Because 29 might be doable. 30 is big maybe. 31? 32? Even if he's not on the team at 31 or 32, if you want to get that cap hit down in 2023, some of that money is going to be going into 2025 in 2026. 
how long do you want Aaron Jones on your books for? That's where it gets tricky. The good news is, such as it is, that we're going to have an answer pretty early next offseason. The 2023 league year begins on March 15th, 2023. Aaron Jones is due a $7 million roster bonus on March 19th. So if he's going to be released, it'll be before that day. If he's not, the Packers are going to get something figured out by that day. Because I don't think they're going to just sit there and take $7 million on the chin. That, even for Russ Ball, is going to be a lot to deal with. If they ask Russ to get them out of the situation and and allow him to do the things that Russ Ball does, move some money around, they'll be doing it before March 19th. But that's when things are going to go down, at least by then. If the Packers are going to keep Aaron Jones into 2023, we'll know by then. If not, we'll know by then as well. Whatever happens, remember, Aaron Jones has been a tremendous player, a rare type of player, and a joy to watch since he arrived in Green Bay in 2017. To end this this show on a really positive note, that's something I've really appreciated about 2023, 2022, excuse me, the, this Packers season, is is really feeling like I, I've gotten to a place where I, I feel like I properly appreciate who Aaron Jones is as a player because he's just been so remarkable this year. He's helped the Packers succeed in so many ways, and it's just been remarkable to watch every part of his game how he operates as a receiver, how he works as a runner, his unique balance through contact, the way he hits holes full speed, the way he gets the most out of his five foot nine hundred and eighty five pound frame. It's just been incredible. And it's been a lot of fun to watch and a big part of the fun of the twenty twenty two season. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode because that's all I've got for you on this this episode of Blue fifty eight. If you enjoyed it, it would mean a lot to me if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to be how we grow in 2023 and beyond. And it's how we've grown so far. So thank you so much for your help with that. Getting more people to listen to the show is how we're going to get more people involved in this conversation that we're having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, maybe me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.